Please turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me and said, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I don't have a whole lot of time. Um, these, it's like the beauty and the beast, that flower's about to drop. So we're going to cut to the chase here. When the nation of Israel was established, everyone knew that they received that land by sheer grace, by the sheer grace of God as a people of God, really as his kingdom. So there are laws. Of course, God's people abandoned his word. They abandoned his laws, so they became unjust. In fact, sometimes they became a wicked people. They turned away from the protection and the provision of God. And so what happens? The Babylonians swept in. They take them into exile, and now they're homeless and they're divided, they're dislocated, they're hopeless, they just lost all their power, they're powerless. But God, through Ezekiel, in chapter 37, he provides a vision. It's a visible and audible metaphor, in a sense, that gave his people hope and gave them power. So what was it? It was a picture of the resurrection. And so today, it's fitting, on Easter Sunday, we're gonna look at two very quick things Ezekiel's vision of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. 
First, we're going to look at the, the, at the vision of the resurrection. Ezekiel's vision is this. Verses 1 and 2, he's brought into the middle of this valley, and the entire valley, it's not just dead bodies. They're skeletons, they're bones, and they're dry. This is God's way of saying, right now, this is the condition of my people. We're all in a valley, we're all divided, and we're dead. We're helpless, and we're dried up. In other words, even though we may be together, and even though they were together, they were supposed to be a distinct people of God, they were hopeless. They felt left for dead. Why? They were left for dead, in a sense, in the valley. Their hope was dried up. They, they lost their strength. Why? Think about it. On a, on a mountaintop, you can see the entire picture. You can see all the different curves and turns. You can navigate uh, the valley from the mountaintop. But when you are in the valley, it's dark. When you're in the valley, it's cold. It's very, very difficult to navigate. There's lots of dangerous uh, uh, avenues. And, and these are dry bones, which means that they've been this way for a while. God's people had lost their land, they were, they, which means they lost their home. They lost their place. It's so important to find a place where you belong. They've been overpowered by a greater entity, a greater force, and so they've now been dislocated. In ancient times, if another country takes you into exile as a people, what happens is you're divided up now, and so you're homeless. And so it gets very, very easy. It's really intentional. It gets easy to, to adapt into the culture that's around you. Within a few decades, you lose your language. You lose your sense of peoplehood. You lose your sense of identity. This is the easiest most peaceful way to conquer a nation. If you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, what does that ruthless king, Edward, what does King Edward say? He says, if we can't get them out, we're going to breed them out. So Israel, they're a people, but they know now that they're a dying people. And remember, they were established by God. They were God's people. They were protected by God, but now they're divided and they're lost. They lost the temple. The temple was destroyed. Uh, what that means is now they're distant. They're far away from the spiritual center of their lives as a people. They're distant from God. Uh, they've, they're distant from the promises of God. They're just completely lost as a people. And it's been a while, so they're dry. They're dried up. They're dry bones. Verse 11, God says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is the state of my people. They say, our hope is gone. We have been cut off. To the phrase, to be cut off, that's curse language. They're talking about the curse because they've been cut off from God. To be cut off from God is the ultimate curse. It's the ultimate darkness, the ultimate loneliness, the ultimate helplessness. They're in a real valley. They're, this is a spiritual valley, a spiritual darkness that they're in. Verse 3, so God asks Ezekiel. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answers, he says, you alone know. You alone know. In other words, apart from you, no. I mean, that's why we're here. We've abandoned you. We've rejected you. We've rebelled against you. But you're on the mountaintop. Only you see the whole picture. And so in verses 4 to 6, God, he essentially says, I want you to preach. I want you to preach the word to my people whose hope has been dried up, who are lost. I can give them life, and I will give them life. I will bring these people together again. They're going to become a body. And in verses 7 to 8, that's what Ezekiel does. He does that. And these bones, they start to rattle and they start coming together. They start to assemble. They become a body. That's what's happening. You see, 
In verses 9 and 10, God essentially says, I want you to preach. I want you to pray for new life. And he does. And God's breath enters into these bodies. That's resurrection. They come to life again. These bodies now together, they become an army. And then God promises in verse 12, I will bring you out of your graves. He says, oh, my people. That is the tenderness of God. That is the, a loving God, a faithful God who sees these dead people scattered and divided and broken, just busted up, just in despair. And he says, oh, my people. He's weeping for his people. He says, I will rescue you. That's really what he's saying there. He says, I will bring you out of your graves. I will bring you home. Verse 13, then you will know that I am the Lord. And he sums the whole thing up in verse 14. I will put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to bring you home. Then you will know that I, am, I, the Lord, have spoken. Then you will know that I've done it. That's the vision of the resurrection. Well, the second point, and our last point today, is the power of the resurrection. Clearly, this passage is saying that all of us here in this room, we're in exile as we speak. In verse 11, God says, this is a picture of the whole house of Israel. This is a picture of my people. In other words, this is us. This is a metaphor of our current condition. We are exiled to a foreign land. We're not talking about immigration here. Bible says, ever since the Garden of Eden, we once had wholeness with God in the garden. We once had oneness with God. God used to walk with Adam in the garden. And what's in the middle of the garden? There was a tree, the tree of life. In other words, at the core of our being, at the, core, at the center of our lives, there was life. There was wholeness. There was goodness. We were never meant to suffer. We were never meant to experience pain. We were never meant to die because of our relationship with God. But ever since the Garden of Eden, that wasn't enough. God wasn't enough. Man is in paradise. And God wasn't enough. The protection of God wasn't enough. Walking with God wasn't enough. The presence of God wasn't enough. In paradise, God wasn't enough. And so we distrusted God. We disobeyed God. We abandoned God. We rebelled against God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam and Eve, we were driven out of Eden. We became exiled. We were exiles. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we're dislocated. We were never meant to be born into danger or pain or suffering or death, but now danger and pain and suffering and death. This is an everyday reality. We face that everywhere. Because of sin, death ruins everything good in your life. Because of death, everything breaks. Because of death, you never reach your full potential. The Bible says we were never meant to be like that. We were never meant to be here. We were exiles. We were taken here in a sense because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion. And ever since the garden, we've been longing for a home. We've been longing for that place. We've been longing for a place where we belong. We've been thirsting for intimacy. We've been thirsting for a wholeness. We just feel like we're just not right. You could be at your best and you just feel like something is still just terribly wrong. We're not whole. We're not forgiven. We feel like there's something just wrong with us. We're constantly moving towards the selfishness and, and ruining and hurting and damaging people. And, and so we're constantly longing for wholeness. We're constantly longing for life. 
We're constantly longing for meaning and identity and power, something that's going to make it right for us, that's going to heal us. If you're lonely and you're constantly longing for intimacy, this is why. You see that? Uh, If you're constantly longing for meaning and an identity, a sense of power in your life, and we do all sorts of things to find healing and wholeness there, this is why. It's because we've been lost. We've lost and we've lost everything ever since the days of the garden when we chose to abandon God and now we're just bones. We're just dry and we're scattered and we're still thinking that our wealth or wealth building or our degrees or our promotions or our marriages or having children or making a home, that's going to make us whole. That's going to give us life. It's going to bring us back into the garden apart from God and it can't. We're misunderstanding it. We underestimate the problem of sin. That curse, we are cut off. We We underestimate the power of that. And so those things won't give us life. They can't give us life. You see that? Ernest Becker, he's a, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner who wrote the book, The Denial of Death. He essentially says this, that we're all trying to cope with the reality that death will ruin everything in our lives and will take our lives away. You see? He says, we're all trying to cope with that. It, it makes us frantic, he says. And so we immerse ourselves into romance and wealth building and home building, even religion, because we're trying to deal with, we're trying to avert the power of death. We're trying to heal ourselves in a sense, and you can't. Why? Because suffering and death, they take away anything that you cling to for hope in life. It ruins everything and it's unstoppable, you cannot negotiate with it, you cannot outrun it. And so you need to cling to something that transcends death. You need to cling cling to something that transcends death or else you're going to die lonely and we're anxious, depressed, just miserable. What God gives his people through Ezekiel's vision is a renewed hope which restores strength and power in their lives. It gives them power. You see that in, from a visual and audible perspective in this text. What's happening is that these dead bones that are dried up and scattered, they come to life and there's power again. Verse 7, the bones come together. Now they're skeletons. In verse 8, there's flesh and tendons. So essentially there's this organic growth that's happening and, and it's flourishing. They're no longer dry bones, but verse 8 says there's no breath in them. They're still dead. You see? But then, verse 10, breath enters into them. This wind, it's the breath of life. Verse 14, he says it's God's spirit. And they come to life. God's saying, I'm going to restore it all. I'm going to restore all of your lives. Anything that you've ever lost, you're going to get back. Anything that's ever wrong in your life, it's going to be overturned and undone in your life one day. I'm going to breathe life into you, and I'm going to take you home. That's what he says. And he eventually does. Eventually, the people of God, they return to Israel, but they never, ever get even to where they were in the past. That old glory they never get back to. It took decades to even build and rebuild that temple, but that second temple was just a shadow, a mere shadow of the glory of the first temple. There's a saying in the Bible, uh, in one of the books of the Bible, after they come back from the exile, Uh, there's an elder who actually was alive during the first temple and it was torn down. He actually saw the building of the second temple and they said when he beheld the glory of the second temple, he wept because it was so shabby. So there must have been something more to this promise. 
This is an amazing vision, an amazing prophecy. There must have been something more to this vision to restore Israel. On one hand, it was for them in those ancient times in their day. But on the other hand, Ezekiel was pointing to a future home, a future restoration that transcends this visible reality. So when God says, I'm going to give you new life, I'm going to bring you back home, he must be promising more than just physical life or return to your earthly home or land. What he's really saying is this, one day all sin, all death will die. All dryness, dryness itself is going to dry up. It's going to be swallowed up by the wholeness and intimacy and healing of God forever. You're going to be brought to new life. You're going to be brought to new glory and ultimate glory and your ultimate home. How? Centuries later, in John chapter 20, Jesus' disciples, they've gathered on the night that Jesus physically rose from the dead, and there he actually appears before them. This is the resurrection. Jesus himself appears, and what does he do? He breathes on them. He gathers them together, and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what he's doing? He is now fulfilling Ezekiel chapter 37. What he's saying is, I am giving you new life. See, after he, Jesus died, they were all scattered, and their hopes were dried up. They were hoping that Jesus would overturn the government, overturn, it would be a revolution, and they would be a part of his cabinet because they were his closest friends. They were his mighty men. They were his disciples. But when Jesus died, so did their hopes, died with him. They never expected or, or even conceived that Jesus would bodily and physically rise from the dead. And so their hopes were dashed, and they were scattered. They were dried up. Now, because of the resurrection of Jesus, they were alive. And does Jesus rebuke them and beat up on them because he, they abandoned them? No, he makes them whole. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter 1, our call to worship, he says, you are born into a living hope. It's a lasting hope. It is power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gives us an unbreakable power. Breathing on his disciples, he's saying, I've led you back from the ultimate exile, and I'm going to bring you now to your ultimate destiny, your ultimate home, and everything one day will be subsumed in the joy of knowing me. My glory will return, and one day everything that has ever gone wrong will be restored into its fullest glory if you've ever lost anything, if you've ever cried tears, even today, if your life is just broken, if you've ever been broken or broken other people in your life, riddled with guilt, this is the end of sickness. This is the end of, of sorrow. This is the end of loss. This is the end of sin. This is the end of death. Before you were lonely and divided, now you can be a part of God's people a part of a new society, a new humanity altogether. Verse 10, you're part of a vast army. Before you were dislocated, you were exiled. Now you have a home. You have a place. Jesus says, in my Father's house, how many times? I'm building a place for you, he says. You have a home. You have a place. That's also mean, it also means you have real intimacy. You are born into now a family, so intimate that you're called a family, so intimate and so organic it's called a body. You see that? 
So before you were broken and falling apart and divided and now bones, now you're held together through tendons and flesh. You're going to be flourishing. It's real. Before you were dried up, just longing, thirsting. Now you're going to be restored and alive. You're going to be able to reach your fullest potential. Before you were cut off, that's curse language. Now he says, my spirit will be in you. That's life language. See, that's blessing language. This is the power that the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us. Now, there are people in this room that are going to say, well, we're still going to die, right? So we're still kind of in the same boat. Not really, no. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, in one of the letters to the Corinthian church, he says this. He stares down death. He literally stares down death. He's almost talking trash to death. And he says, death Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Literally in the Greek, where is that venom in your bite? In other words, we're going to get bit. Death will get us. But where's the venom? You know why? Because when a snake bites you, when a snake bites you, it's not the pain of the bite that kills you. It's the venom in the bite that destroys you. It's the venom that has the power. It's the power of death. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he absorbed all of that venom. He absorbed all of the power of death, and he died so that he would do away with death once and for all. So when we die, we just get the bite. The venom is gone. There's no more power in the bite. There's no more power in death any longer. Even death can't ruin everything anymore. How does that happen? Well, on the cross, Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, what he's saying is, I am in exile. I've been forsaken. I've been cut off. That's cursed language. Now I've been truly cut off. I am in the ultimate exile. The presence of God has left me, and so my spiritual center has been torn away from me. I am cursed, completely cut off from the Father. By the way, when you're separated from God, the Father, what happens? That's hell. So Jesus Christ on the cross, he's experiencing the wrath of God as a penalty for our sins. And God has separated himself forensically from his son. And so he's saying, I am in utter hell right now. I'm experiencing this right now. Torn away from the Father. Why? So that we could be reconciled to the Father. So our souls can be healed by the Father. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he says, my God, my God, I've been forsaken. That means he's been homeless, dislocated. Why? So that we would have a home. We would have a place. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he's, he's lost his spiritual center, which means he's lost his identity. He's lost the inheritance. This is the ultimate valley, the darkest place, the, the true abyss. So darkness covers over the entire land as Jesus is dying. Why? So that we could be, thy word is a lamp unto our feet. We would never be lost. We'll always have, the Holy Spirit will always navigate his people. On the cross, Jesus cries out, I thirst, I long, because the Father has left him. And so he's saying, I've dried up. Cosmically, Jesus experienced the drying up of his soul in that brokenness. And he's saying, I'm hopeless and helpless. Why? So that you, so that God's people would be made whole, so that we can experience new life, so that we would have the power of his resurrection and the hope. Jesus Christ gave up his spirit 
And he died so that God's spirit then can move into you, can be in you. And all the while, he still trusted in the promise of God. The author of Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That means that to the end, he had hope. And that hope gave him a lasting joy. What was it? What was that hope? And the answer, it was you, you, to see you made whole, to be satisfied so utterly as his body and soul are wasting away. He's looking out, seeing his people vibrant and flourishing in him. That gave him joy, and that was his hope, and it was a resilient hope. He trusted God to the end. What's the meaning of Easter? Even the grave, even death couldn't hold Jesus down. That's the resurrection. That's the power of God. That's the gospel, the love of God. The only thing that transcends the power of sin, the only thing that transcends death, you gotta cling to it. If if the cross of Jesus cut the power cord of death so that there's no more power running through, so that the venom is gone, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God now bursting forth with so much joy and so much life that death, although it's a reality, that death is literally just now powerless and withering away. We can experience the renewal of God, the way flowers bloom into a greater beauty in the spring. That is our ultimate potential. You grip by fear? Guilt, loss, brokenness, sin. Preach, God told Ezekiel, preach the word. Preach the powerful victory of Jesus. Remind yourself of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and let that seep into that helplessness. Let it seep into your hopelessness, into that guilt, into your tears and see your own dry bones come to new life. Let's pray together.